Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm glad I came. How about you? Now turn to the other side and tell them the same thing. They need to know that and they need to hear you say that and you need to hear them say that and thank you all again. And let's just give the Lord a hand of praise one more time in this place at this, at this moment in our, our service. And wow, wow, what a, what a way to start your day. Uh, if you would, grab your, your handouts. There's an outline on one side, a pen or pencil, something to take notes with. And we welcome you to Imprison Week 3. Um, you got it made in here. This isn't anything like prison, thankfully. But we're studying Paul's brief letter to the church in Philippi where he found himself in prison once again while writing this very letter. And what I love about, about Paul's heart, his spirit, his, his ministry, was that he didn't let prison stop him from anything. As a matter of fact, he took this time uh, once again, as he did every time he was in prison, to either worship and celebrate God, or always worship and celebrate God, should I say, and to make the best use of his time. He didn't let him get him down. He didn't let the, the beatings, the, 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 the jail cell, the, the people that were around him uh, stop him from accomplishing God's purpose in his life. And right here at this juncture, we find him writing some very important words and encouragements to this great church in Philippi. And as we camp out in chapter 3 today, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up. And hopefully there's enough light in here for you to read along as we uh, journey through God's Word in just a moment. But um, you'll notice at the top of your outline, it says, Lose to Gain. And we're in Philippians chapter 3, going to be looking at the first 11 verses. And I just want to ask this right now. How many of you love putting a resume together in this room? Can I see your hands? How many of you have resume? Nobody loves putting one together. That's absolutely right. How many of you have a resume on hand and you're tweaking it often? How many of you go to it about every day because the job you're at is about to drive you nuts and you're like, I've got to find something better than this? You may not want to raise your hand on that. Okay, Jordan, thanks, pal. Resumes. If you don't have one, just look forward here, uh, our, our, our student minister over here. You're going to be putting one together in the near future. And what a resume is, for those of you that may not know, is a brief summary of your incredible experiences and skills that lets business owners know why they just can't continue on successfully without you. Does that kind of sum it up? Maybe right? That's my definition anyway. I just came up with that this week. So, so how many of you let me ask this question, who have resumes may have stretched the truth or really creatively beefed up your resume at some point in time. Okay, we got some honest people in here. I like that. And I'm lifting mine too because years ago I, I kind of made it as, as nice as it could be, right? Well, yeah, creative writing. I, I like that. Here are some of the most ridiculous and unusual lies that hiring managers said they've ever caught on a resume. First of all, applicant included job experience that was actually his father's because both father and son had the same name. One was a senior, one was a junior. Nothing like borrowing your dad's credentials, right? Another one, applicant claimed to be the assistant to the prime minister of a foreign country that doesn't have a prime minister. On another one, an applicant claimed to have been a high school, listen to this one, he claimed to have been a high school basketball free throw champion, and he admitted it was a lie in the interview. Now, my question is, what does that have to do with working a job unless you're going to work for an NBA team as a player, right? 
I mean, nobody really cares about your ability to make free throws unless you're on a basketball team. Another one, applicant claimed to have been an Olympic medalist was found out not to be the truth. On another one, they claimed to have been a construction supervisor. Now, get this. The interviewer actually learned that the bulk of the experience was in the completion of a doghouse as a child. Amen. Whatever, you know, just... Get creative, right, Joe? On, on another one, applicant claimed to have 25 years of, exper- of work experience. The only problem was he was 32 years old. So he started work at the ripe age of seven. Applicant claimed to have worked for 20 years as the babysitter of known celebrities such as Tom Cruise and Madonna. Applicant listed three jobs over the past several years. Upon contacting the employers, the interviewer learned that the applicant had worked at one for two days, another job for one day, and didn't work at all for the third one they put down on the resume. Applicant applied to a position with a company who had just terminated them. Now, isn't that that gutsy? They had just been fired by this applicant. That, that's not even the best of it. He actually listed the, the company under previous employment and indicated on his resume that he had quit and not been fired. The last one is this applicant applied twice for the same position and provided different work histories on each of the resumes. How do you like that, huh? Real winners. And I hope that none of these are any of you people sitting in this room right now. Uh, that would be a little, a little tough to, to hear, I'm, I'm imagining. Resumes. A lot of us have them. We seem to live in a world that has a need for resumes. If you're going to get a, a new job, you, you need a resume. In college, they're going to teach you how to write a resume. In high school and college, you're encouraged to accomplish certain activities and sign up for certain things so that you can put that on your resume. I, I've even seen advertisements from churches where they want new pastoral candidates to send in their resumes. I mean, it just seems to be everywhere. We're in a world that revolves around our list of achievements. Not only this, but you are to accentuate your resume, as some have, have taken great liberty to do so. And one of my first jobs, I, I remember, was at a drugstore. And pretty much so, I was a stock boy. Any of you ever work stocking shelves? It is no fun. I mean, it's not that bad when you're stocking shelves with really big items. But when you're stocking shelves with, with aspirin bottles and little tiny things and, and like there, there seems to be thousands of them and you've got to get them in that straight line and, you know, have them up front to the, to the, uh, to the shelf and, and so easily accessible, easily seen and all that. And it's just monotonous and it seems like I said thousands and thousands of them. It gets kind of aggravating. Every once in a while, they allowed me to run a cash register. Now, I enjoyed that a lot better, but some of you are going to kind of freak out because that was in the day when you had to actually punch in the numbers on the register. How many of you remember that? Man, I would have killed to have the scanners now and just run that barcode, bleep, bleep, bleep. I would have been lightning fast, but punching in those numbers was another thing. I didn't do it so well, and that's probably why they didn't let me run the register that much. But when I went to get my next job, I put on my resume that not, not that I was a stock boy, but I was a customer service representative. You a customer? You need some service? I'm your guy. That sounds a lot better, right? I mean, that's just the mentality. We, we put ourselves forward in the best possible light. 
listing all of our accomplishments in the brightest possible terms. And this resume idea is not an American thing. It, it's actually a human thing. You might want to write that down. It, uh, the resume is a human thing. And the Apostle Paul, in, in chapter 3 of Philippians, is dealing with people who are stuck in their list of accomplishments. If you've been around here any length of time at all in our church, you understand that we don't rest on our laurels and we don't write down our achievements to kind of pat ourselves on the back. However, that's what Paul is finding more and more here and wanting to address and put it to bed. In particular, these Christians have a very, very big feather in their cap of accomplishments. They, they actually live in the city of Philippi, and Philippi was a very special place because it was a Roman colony, and Roman colony had rights and privileges that other cities in the Roman Empire did not possess. And if you lived in Philippi, then you had the very same privileges afforded to you as if you lived in Rome itself. So Philippi even had developed the nickname of Little Rome, and one of the benefits they enjoyed was a great one, and I think you would agree with me, they were tax-free. Man, how many of us would just love it if we didn't have to pay taxes? How many of you have tried that and gotten in trouble for it? Don't raise your hand. I mean, they did not have to pay any taxes. So one of the powerful rights these people had was that they were Roman citizens. And so Paul wants to remind them of something about their resume in regards to being a Christian. And if, if you don't get anything else today, I want you to get this. The big idea that Paul is stressing here to them and to us is that self-reliance is empty and fatal. That we can't rest on what we in and of ourselves have accomplished, no matter how talented, no matter how good we think we are, no matter how much good that we may have done in our lives, in our own strength, that counts for nothing in the kingdom of God in essence. And we're going to unpack that over the next few minutes. And I want to start with number one on your outline where Paul reminds us to do this. Celebrate the Lord, not yourself. I want you to listen to the first six verses where Paul says, Finally, my brethren. I love that term, brethren. Maybe we need to bring that back. Well, hello, my brethren. How are you today? I don't think it fits us. But anyway, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. If you write in your Bible, mark that. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but... It is for you, it is, well, excuse me, but for you, it is safe. Beware, number two, verse two, beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Verse four, though I, I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law blameless. Now, some of you are thinking, that's quite a, an interesting passage. A lot of stuff Paul puts in here. But I want you to notice first thing that he, he encourages. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he quickly takes it to this place. Don't put confidence in yourself. Don't pat yourself on the back. Don't rejoice in your stuff. Because that is empty. That is vain. That is so contrary to who Christ is and who he is creating us to be in his image. So he wants to start, first of all, by saying, celebrate God. 
don't celebrate your stuff. And, and, and like we talked about in week one, he talks about our joy is in the Lord. So ground your life there, not anywhere else, especially in our accomplishments. And see, so what's happening here is dealing with a group of Christians that are running around putting their confidence in the flesh during this time. They are Jewish Christians and they are teaching Gentile Christians that they need to be circumcised, this outward fleshly thing, and keep the law of Moses in order to belong to the kingdom of God. So Paul's going to write to them about this problem and he's going to keep them spiritually safe from this mistake because Get a hold of this this morning. That is a mistake. Anytime we put down all kinds of regulations and rules and, and, and ways and methods that we become a part of the kingdom of God other than through the blood of Jesus Christ, then guess what? It is a grave mistake. Anytime we, we stack up our accomplishments and want to pull out our resumes and say, here, this is going to get me somewhere. This is going to get me to heaven. This is going to get me stature in the kingdom of God. Then guess what? It is a grave mistake. And because these folks, like I said just a moment ago, were considered a part of Rome, and they were Roman citizens living in the, the town of Philippi, then guess what? They had kind of gotten caught up into that trap of thinking we are somebody. We are a little bit different than these first-generation Christians that were birthed at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are a part of this great empire known as Rome. And, and we kind of have some of these special things to rest our laurels on and to kind of be proud of. And, 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 and at the same time, some of them were not only believing that themselves, as Paul points out, they're teaching that to other people. Now, how many of you would get a little twisted if one of our pastoral staff got up here and started talking about, hey, guess what? Get yourself ready because in one month, UFOs are going to come down, and they are going to transport us to heaven. And if we're not wearing white gym, gym suits and white sneakers, we're not going to be able to get on the UFO and go home to heaven with them. So in one month, get your stuff ready, man. Go buy you a white outfit. Go buy you some white tennis shoes. And, and just spend the next month hiding out in your house and meet back here in exactly one month at 11.04. And we're going to be taking off. You don't want to miss that trip. Now, what would you think? We're nuts. We've lost it. We're putting together some other way contrary to what Scripture tells us to get to heaven. And in thinking that, you would be absolutely correct because that's just crazy. And see, Paul is warning them that these people are evil. He, he actually just calls it for what it is. He says, they are evil. Beware of their evil works. Beware of the mutilation. He even calls them dogs. How I many of you are dog people and you love your dog and say, I, I just don't think that fits. I love my pet. When I get home, they're just there to greet me at the door. And I just, not in that sense. Dogs in the sense that they will do anything they can to destroy how many of you are thankful for people who will stand up and tell you the truth? I mean, I, I told my, my youngest son this week while we were going somewhere, we had this intense dialogue about something. And I just looked at him finally. I said, son, sometimes the truth hurts, but man, is it helpful. It's not always what we want to hear, but if it helps us grow, 
if it helps us become the right kind of person that God honors and, and, and that, that he desires for us to be, then, man, I'm telling you something. Even though that truth may hurt for a little while, it's going to help tremendously both now and in the long run. And in verse 2, Paul is, is just calling them out for what they are, and he's saying, listen, stay away from that. They are trying nothing more than to deceive you and pull you away from the truth of what God has laid out as, as his people should be and do. They were offering another option to God. And I love also that not only does he call them out in this threefold kind of rebuke, but he also gives us a description of who we're to be in a threefold manner in verse 3 he said hey we are the circumcision and what he's talking about here is not a physical act he's talking about our hearts being circumcised by Jesus Christ by him cutting away the dead stuff the stuff that don't belong and creating in us a clean heart a new heart a heart that honors and glorifies him and accepts him for for Lord of our lives and what he says here is three different things we are the people who are circumcised who worship by the spirit of God first and foremost God is a spirit, and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. You've heard that before, right? And Paul's just reminding us, uh, us of that, that we worship by the spirit of God. It's not our flesh that accomplishes that. Although we use our hands to lift him up, we use our voices to speak out. Where the, 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 the heart of it is, is down in our spirit. Something inside of us says that God is God. He is worthy to be praised, and I in my spirit and with my hands lifted, my, my voice singing out, I might jump up and down because I'm excited about it, whatever the case, but it is born from the spirit connecting with God's spirit. My spirit, his spirit, fellowshipping in that intimate connection where I can't help myself but just to worship him. And Paul says, first and foremost, we worship God in the spirit and who glorify Christ Jesus. And that's the purpose of our worship is to bring glory and honor to Jesus, right? We're not lifting up a, a preacher or a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. We're not lifting up a, a worship team. We're not lifting up a congregate. We are lifting up the name of Jesus. We're not lifting up Connections Church. We are lifting up the church, Jesus himself. And then he says the third thing, that we put no confidence in the flesh, and that's exactly what these evildoers were trying to do. They were talking about these fleshly things that you have to do to get there, to be a, a Christian. And Paul says, look at me, church. He says, remove all of that garbage. Don't buy the lie. Run from it. It is deadly and it's dangerous. And listen, Paul, Paul even went on to tell us about, hey, you want to talk about resumes? Mine will stack up against anybody's. I mean, here are some of my earthly and fleshly accomplishments, if you want to know. Paul was a very educated man. He said, if they want to start throwing out what they've done, you look at what I've done. But guess what? Here's what I love about Paul. Second thing on your outline. He simply says, kingdom math is loss is gain. That makes no sense to us in the natural. But the way that God calculates things is that when we lose, we gain. He says, so gladly trade it all in. He said, basically, none of that matters. Everything that I was able to accomplish outside of God, outside of Christ, none of that matters. 
all the degrees that I, that I worked for and earned, all the acknowledgments, all the, the, the raises and the promotions I got, none of that matters. As a matter of fact, all of that was useless and empty because it was not God-honoring. Instead, Paul became a man who, who went out, and as many of you know, he, he tortured the church. He, he put to death Christians. He, it was his crusade, his private crusade, to do away with this movement that Christ established. It was his personal goal to destroy Christianity. But he said, look at me, none of that matters. All of that is empty and all of that is useless without Jesus Christ. So he's telling them the same thing. He said, as a matter of fact, you can take all my stuff and as he puts it, Later on in this passage, he said, it's nothing but dung. Any of you know what dung is? I'm going to use the cleaned up version, horse hockey. Any of you ever heard that term? It smells to high heavens. You don't want. He said, all of this is garbage. It's dung, depending on what, what translation you have. He said, it is nothing. I, I love that. Let's, let's just read on the next couple of verses so we can, we can see that. He says in verse 7, but when things were gained, what things were gained to me, these I have counted as loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul's saying. In essence, this, trade everything in for Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what's in your life. He's going to count it as loss and garbage and dung. Everything is counted as lost by Paul. People see everything else as trash. And, and why is that, you may ask? Well, the reason is simply this. Christ is the greatest treasure. Would you write that down on your outline? He says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The reason we count everything else as worthy of putting in the garbage can is because there is nothing more valuable than knowing Jesus Christ personally. Now, I'm not talking about just knowing about him. I'm talking about walking in that intimate, personal relationship with him, that you know him like you know every, your mom, your dad, somebody that closely that you, you've, been, you've been in a relationship with, and you just you know them. You know what I'm saying? You know what they're thinking. You know what's on their mind. You can look at your wife and say, you want to go to dinner, right? All right, it's time. Let's go. She's like, I love you. It's almost like you can read my mind. I mean, that's how close that Jesus wants to know us and us to know him. And Paul is saying everything else in life pales in comparison to that knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, it's funny. We, we put our, our treasures and our allegiance and a lot of other things at times. Hobbies, careers, interest. Whatever it may be, family. But Paul is stressing here that everything else in life pales in comparison with knowing Christ 
as Lord of our lives. Everything. And how does that play out in our lives? Well, it, it, it actually just kind of goes like this. We have to make some, some tough decisions at times. Because here, here's what, what kind of people think about when they, when they think about knowing Christ and surrendering things to, to be close to Christ and, and know him in that manner. They think about sin automatically, right? Kind of we just drift there naturally. Is that, is that correct? I mean, if you're like me, you kind of think about, okay, what do I have to stop doing? And I've had a, a thousand people ask me that through 30-some years of ministry. Okay, Pastor, I know I need to stop this, stop this. What else do I need to stop? What else do I need to quit doing so I can, I can know Christ in that way? And sure, there are some things that are sinful that, that we know are wrong. I mean, we've got this top ten list in the Bible called the commandments and, and other things that kind of are spelled out there on the pages of God's Word. However, here's something that most of us don't really think about. What are those good things that we need to kind of throw in the garbage can so that we can truly know Christ better. Maybe it's television. Maybe it's video games. Maybe it's spending too much time with that, that person that you're in love with. And you're starting to say, well, Pastor, you're kind of getting real personal now. You're kind of stepping on my toes a little bit. And stuff. I'm just asking. Because here's the reality of it. Basically, Paul is saying to them and us today, anything Anything that is keeping, now I'm, I'm saying that we just don't, you know, get rid of everything in our lives and, and find this prayer closet and kind of bunker down in that thing and say, all right, God, it's just me and you. I got this candle in here that's going to give me a little bit of light, Lord, as long as it lasts, and I'm just going to stay in here until you come back and take me home, and it's just going to be me and you, and everything else is out of my life right now. I'm not saying that. You understand that today? Let your neighbor know, yeah, I get it. How about you? You just kind of tell them that so they, they won't lose track and think, man, he's calling us to be monks or nuns. Believe me, I'm not calling you to that. I'm not calling me to that either, thank God. But what I am calling us to as a church body, as a family, is that we, we heed the encouragement of Paul here. And we evaluate our lives and say, Lord, is there anything that's been pulling me from walking as closely with you as I possibly can? Is there anything in me, a part of my existence, that has been getting more of my attention and love and devotion and time? Look at me, guys. Don't lose this. Than you. If it's a person... If it's an activity, I mean, you break it down like this. What are we more devoted to than knowing Christ? And that's the, at the heart of what Paul is, is pouring his heart out here about. What, is, what are we more devoted to than we are Jesus Christ? What is that thing? And then here's the challenge that, that he asks of us. Go trade it in. Go, go put that on the table. Just get rid of it. And say, Lord, I don't want that anymore because I understand clearly that you are the great treasure. This is reiterated in Matthew 13, verse 44, where this tiny little parable is told, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered it up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Does that make sense to you? This man finds this great treasure. That's likened to the kingdom of heaven. That's likened to, to walking in relationship to Jesus Christ. And when he finds it, the Bible says he buries it. He covers it up. 
And he goes and gets ready because he knows that I don't have the scratch in my pocket right now to buy this field outright. I don't have enough money if you don't understand that vernacular. So he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to sell everything else because everything else I have pales in comparison to this great treasure. And I'm going to go buy that field and that, that treasure is going to be mine. And this parable teaches us that nothing else in, in, in our lives that is both here now or ever will be as a part of our lives that will ever entice us as a temptation that will ever come on as a nice sparkly thing that we think, oh man, that would be awesome. I want to give myself to that or that person that we feel like, oh, they complete me and I I just got to have them. And Nothing else, both person or stuff, is as valuable as knowing Christ Jesus personally. So what this parable and what Paul is encouraging us to do is get rid of everything else that's hindering you and hindering me from having that relationship with him on that level. And I'm just going to challenge some people in here this morning. You're at a level right now where you don't need to be. But I understand that this morning the Spirit of God is calling you and challenging you that it's time to move up a number of levels and go to the place that, that he desires for you and me to be. And, and the big aspect of making that happen is going to be selling out some things, getting rid of some things, or as Paul puts it, throwing it in the garbage can. Count it as nothing. Trade it in. Go sell it all so you can buy that field and have that treasure. For some of you, you're already kind of just backing out of this thing saying, but Pastor, you, you don't understand how much I enjoy this, and you, you don't understand how I feel when I am a part of this. Or Look at me this morning. I dare you. I dare you to make that decision. I dare you to follow through with this challenge. I dare you to cash everything else in. And say, Jesus, you are my all in all. You are my everything. Nothing else is above you in my life. Nothing else is more important than knowing you in my own life. And then lastly, we hear what that that gets us, what the payoff is. Paul states the results of counting everything as loss and pursuing Jesus Christ with everything we have. And he basically breaks it down into three brief things where he says, hey, to gain Christ is the the, the first payoff. We get Jesus, if you want to put it in that manner. We get Jesus. We get all of him. We get to know him. We get to walk with him. We get to grow in him. Our relationship becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. We get Christ. And secondly, we are found in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, as verse 9 tells us. That it's not our filthy rags that we're trying to impress people with. No, instead, as the Bible says, when we come to Christ in faith and he washes us clean, he puts on his robe of righteousness on us. We get to wear his clothes. And I'm going to tell you something. His clothes are far better than my clothes. His closet is far better than my closet. That we put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are found in that righteousness. Any of you as a kid used to play that game where you went in your parents' closet and you put their shoes on and you come clunking out in those things like, Hey, Mom, look at me. I'm Dad now. 
And it was all cute. And it was like, yeah, let's get a picture. That's just awesome, you know. How many of your kids do that right now? How many of you have a son that likes to go put mom's shoes on and come out? Let's just, that's for a different time. Let's, let's not even go there. We've kind of seen that before. And I said, woohoo, okay, son, let's go back and grab a pair of my shoes. How about that? Okay. But the picture here is this, that we put on the righteousness of Christ. We wear his robe. We, we are washed clean. We are white. So we are, we are in him. Man, I love that. That just explodes in me, and I hope that that does in you also. And then thirdly, in verse 10, he says, we get to know Jesus. Not just know about him, but we get to know him. Christmas is coming. How many of you are already shopping? (laughs) Hunter, you would be, wouldn't you? (laughs) Way to go, bro. (laughs) We're going to have to have a talk after this. You're making us look bad. Okay. You do know guys are like Christmas Eve shoppers. You know, we'll catch up later. That's okay. You got to learn to put up with that and just keep on pushing forward. Christmas is coming. One of my favorite movies, Elf. When the manager comes in and says, hey, guys, let's get ready. Santa's coming tomorrow. I know him. I know him. Yeah, I love that. I've used that a ton of times in here. That's the way we should be with Jesus. Whenever he's mentioned, whenever we're at a store and we hear Christmas songs start blaring through the, the speakers and it, it talks about the whole holy night, the night that you we should say, I know him. Because here's the, here's the difference. We don't just know about him as Christ followers. We get to know him. We just don't know some stuff about, yeah, he was born on December 25th, which we don't even know that's true. I mean, you know, we just you know, kind of like the rest of the world that don't really know him, just kind of know about him. No, Jesus calls us to come and dine, to come and know him, to come and walk with him and talk with him and, and, and to just be with him as his friend. And Paul says that's the payoff to gain Christ to get to be found in his righteousness and to know him. First, he tells us to count all things as trash in order to gain Jesus. That's a a steep call. Secondly, we want to be found in that righteousness of Christ. It doesn't come from knowing the law. It doesn't come from following a set of rules. It doesn't come from wearing a, a suit and tie every Sunday to church. Thank God for that, right? Now, if you're a suit and tie person, that's great. You come on. You're welcome. But none of those things bring the righteousness of Christ. And third, Paul says, I just want to know Christ. And don't, don't forget this aspect of it. He says, and the power of his resurrection. The Bible tells us that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in this church building. Dwells in the cathedrals of Rome. dwells in the Catholic Church. No offense to Catholics. No? Dwells where? You mean to tell me that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me? And you, and you, and you? You see, we get to know the power of the resurrection, both here and now, and then one day when we get resurrected. Don't you love that? That that same spirit, that same power that brought Jesus out of the tomb after how many days? Three days dead is available for us to 
be in now, to exist in, to, to have at our disposal, so to speak, to, to rely on, to trust in, to know that no matter what situation we face. Why do you think Paul kept on going even though he was tortured and beaten multiple times, imprisoned multiple times, uh, abused, and, and just anything else you can think of? Why? Because that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelled mightily in him. And God tells us he's no respecter of person. So that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelled in Paul. And it's for us today. It's what the Bible tells us. So this coming week, when you've decided to throw some things away out of your life, and those things just kind of happen to come back around Wednesday or Thursday, let me back in. I'm your friend. Haven't we had some great times together? Come on, come on, let's get the band back together. And that same spirit is going to rise up and say, no more. I've wasted enough time. I've wasted enough energy. I've wasted enough stuff on you. Now, once again, please hear me clearly. I'm not asking us to cut out everything else in life. I'm not asking you to go home and gather your family in the living room and say, family, it's been real. It's been fun at times. Other times, it's been just a real pain in my rear end. I just got to be honest with you. But time is up, and I'm heading to the mountains all by myself to just wait for Jesus to come and get us. And so, see ya. I'm not telling you to go home and take your television sets and march them out to the front of your yard at, at the roadside and just smash them on the ground and say, You come pick it up, trash people. I am done with TV. I'm not telling you to take your video game playing devices and do the same thing, although I feel like that at times with, with my son. There's been a couple times I've had it in the air just like, that's why he don't get it for long periods of times, right? Babe, yeah, we're, we're together, unified force. I'm not telling us to do that. What I am asking us to do, if you'll close your eyes for just a moment with me, is lay everything on the altar of Christ and pray this simple prayer, Lord, where is this stuff at in my life? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a dating situation. Maybe, uh, maybe it's your family. Maybe you're so consumed with your family that Jesus comes second. Hey, I love my kids, but I'm telling you something. Jesus said, if our love for him doesn't look like hate for any, everybody else to a degree, then we're not really his disciple. And some of you are like, wow, I don't know about that. I do. He put it in there. We are called to love Christ and pursue him passionately, first and foremost in our lives. So as we finish this time of our service before we conclude and go home. I just want to simply ask this across this room and those of you that may be watching or listening to this today and sometime in the future. What is that in your life? Is there anything in your life that right now is taking precedent over your relationship with Christ? What is it as a time stealer that's robbing things from you that 
could help you grow in your walk with him, could help you in your relationship with him, could help you pursue the ministry that he's called you to, the, the accomplishments that he has out in front of you and said, hey, these are yours for the taking. The promised land, the promised life that he has scripted for you, but other things or something else has too much. And right now, Jesus is saying, if you'll take that step and lay that on the altar, or as Paul said, throw it in the trash, you'll be amazed at what I can do in you and through you and with you. So if you're in here right now and you'd say, Pastor, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to take that step. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to I'm going to rise up to what what God's calling me to in that way. I don't want you to raise your hand. and I don't want you to look up at me. I just want you to get up from where you're at and walk down here and stand with me for just a moment so that we can pray together. Would you? Would you take that step now anywhere across this room? Just, Just come now and say, Pastor, that's me. And here I am, and I am believing God for amazing things things to change in me and through me as I take that step this morning would you come now all across this room let's go make your move now is your time thank you Lord thank you for what you're doing you say that's it I, I understand that I've allowed things and people and priorities to dominate No more. Anybody at all? Very surprised that some folks haven't moved and stepped out this morning, but that's okay. There's still time. We're not going to rush this. A few more moments. Maybe you're in here and say, you know what? I don't even know the Lord in my own heart and life. I don't have that relationship with Him, but man, if He's all that, and so much more. I won't wait another moment. Would you come down here as well and say, I'm going to surrender my life to Christ. I'm going to put everything else aside, throw it all away and go after that great treasure, sell it off, whatever I have to do. How many of you would come and join this one so far that said, yes, there's some things that need to change in my life and make your way down as well before we pray and worship God one more time would you just come right now all across this room no matter what age you are or where you're at in your life this is your time this is your moment thank you Lord I sense to just give another moment because I know that the Holy Spirit is dealing with with some more hearts and more lives in this way Here's your time. Would you come now? Thank you, Lord. We're going to pray now. So I want to ask all of you to stand to your feet because we're going to pray and then we're going to worship. And if anybody else is supposed to be here, as you stand up, just, just walk this way. 
and join us in this time as we as we surrender everything to Christ and who he is and all he is to us would you come as we pray father thank you thank you for one who said you know what there's something in me there's some things that that should not be and those that are coming to to be a part of this as well even now as we pray God thank you thank you for their hearts and their lives and their decisions God these adults these precious children that are making their way now Lord you love us enough to tell us the truth you love us enough to be the truth you are the truth and you're saying to us right now if you'll come leave everything else behind just as you did when you called those very first disciples and they left fishing boats and they left tax offices and they left doctor's offices and they walked away from all of that God to pursue you the great treasure not even fully understanding and Lord we don't fully understand how all this goes but here's what we do know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life that you and you alone are the name above all names and the only name by which salvation is found and right now God I thank you for these that are kneeling at this altar this morning I thank you for those that are struggling standing in front of their seats but God you're dealing with them right now and you're not giving up on on winning those battles in their lives Lord I thank you that that great love your salvation your relationship restoring what God the Father originally created in the garden that relationship that's what you've always desired and longed for with us God that we would prioritize you and our relationship with you Lord we'll do that by devoting ourselves to scripture to your truth to your word your love letter to us. We'll do that by spending time and devoting ourselves to pray continually as Paul reminded us of over and over. We talked about a couple of weeks ago and God will do that by assembling together at your house, God, all the ways that we can know and grow in in you and with you. God, we commit ourselves to that right now. We commit ourselves to you, Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. Thank you for those decisions, God, that are being made even now all across this room. Thank you for your great work. Would you just lift your hands up right now all across this room? Because unlike these folks that that came down and prayed around the altar, I sense strongly in my heart there's still a number of people in in this room and outside of it that you're battling right now. You're struggling with that. This is not easy stuff to, to deal with, to acknowledge to confess but right now as you have your hands lifted up if you're struggling if you're battling with those things in your own heart I just want you to take a moment and say God you win I surrender completely to you God you deserve everything I have everything I am everything I'm going to be God it's all yours pray this prayer Lord help me to remove help me to throw in the garbage all those things that do not belong in my heart and life and help me seek you continually the greatest treasure there is to know you to love you to walk with you God intimately and now Lord as we make that declaration we turn that into a declaration of worship and praise 
as we sing this last song together. Team, would you lead us this morning? Church, would you sing out with all your heart? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for tuning into this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.